Welcome to the Architecture Podcast. We're recording live from sunny Miami at the Possible Conference. It's just Eric and I today. Eric, how is Miami? Miami's great. Please note that we're in separate rooms to give our, our audience the best audio experience possible. <laughs> yeah, we also didn't feel like being roomies here. Uh, you know, I think you, you may hear the audio quality may be diminished because you may hear the lapping waves of the Atlantic Ocean outside my door. Um, it's really tough being a podcaster nowadays. <laughs> it certainly is. Uh, so where do we want to start? What's your general impression? This is the first time this conference has gone on, the possible conference. It's positioned as sort of the U.S. to Mexico, uh, which is confusing if you don't want to know that to Mexico has nothing to do with Mexico, it has to do with Germany. But uh, that's what it's positioned. Uh, the founder of the conference is a longtime part of the to Mexico organization. Yeah, so... Let's just start with you, Eric. What's your what's your take on it? I mean, uh, disclosure: my fund is an investor. You're you're a personal investor, um, but I think it's been like great. I would say there's you know a bit of nuance to positioning as a as a U.S. to Mexico. So, um, to Mexico was a trade show, like a true trade show with booths, and are you would have your you know, sort of like you know interesting um, uh, English translations of some of the <laughs> you know start startup name threads that that I miss so so much. But it was like highly productive. A lot of CEOs went, a lot of top to top meetings, and it was business, business, business. Um, and it was gigantic. With this, I gigantic. feel like, uh, yeah, it, it is a a U.S. It's to Mexico with a decidedly U.S. flair. There is a exhibit hall, um, you know, and it's reasonable size, and it was you know connected to this innovation stage where where we had a you know a bunch of content and, and events going on. It's in the Fountain Blue, which is a large hotel, but a manageable hotel. So it's not like CES where you could be, you know, a 45-minute walk to the next hotel for your next meeting. And uh, there was, you know, great sponsors, great speakers. Uh, and, you know, I think it's unique in that it's bringing together the commercialization intent of New Mexico with a large marketer base via the connection to MMA so it feels like it's been really like interesting and productive and unique from that standpoint because it's not all sellers doing BD deals. It's not all you know sort of sellers chasing buyers. It's it's everybody, but with a strong showing from from marketers. I think they did a great job yeah. for for the first year. Absolutely, I totally want to want to double down on your point about marketers. Uh, the closest equivalent to this conference, I think, is the IAB leadership meeting, which takes place in like January or February every year, and it's an excellent conference. But that conference suffers from being very publisher-centric because the IAB is essentially a publisher organization. And this conference's best positive for me is that there's a real mix of publishers, vendors, marketers, and agencies, and they all have their own interest in being here. It's not all sales. Yeah. It's learning and it's sharing and it's schmoozing and doing all that sort of thing. I also want to double down on your point is that the organizers did a really good job on the vendor integration. Uh, it doesn't feel like a big empty expo hole that you're forced to go through. It's the expo hole is pretty nice and well lit and has uh, you know interesting presentations and things. So I think the vendors are definitely getting their money's worth. And it, for the first year doing this to have it all come off pretty well, you know, it's kind of impressive. Yeah, extremely, extremely. So you know, again, just to paint the picture for 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 the listeners who who are not here, there's this expo hall that we're talking about, and then there's a, a massive stage where you know most of the content happens most of the, the the build content happens and there were some pretty incredible guests as well 
Yeah, let's go through some. So I saw LL Cool J, John Bon Jovi, who was really great, and probably the headliner of the whole conference was Elon Musk. So why don't we talk Elon first? Did you see Elon, Eric? Yeah, yeah. I, I attended all three as well, actually. Oh, great. Yeah, Elon was interviewed by Linda Yaccarino, who is the head of sales, I don't know exact title, but a very senior person at NBC. And she did a really nice job asking him about, you know, why advertisers should trust him and what's the future of the platform and how are the rules being applied? A lot of questions like that. I don't think the reaction was very good. Like, I don't think Elon certainly didn't come off warm and fuzzy. I mean, the guy is about as Aspergy as you're going to get of a tech executive, uh, but a little defensive and uh, not that warm. What was your reaction, Eric? Yeah, I think that's right. I give him, I think, a little bit more of the, the benefit of the doubt, but I feel like I understand where he's coming from. I mean, he's just attacked from all angles, like all hours yeah. of the day. And he's the second richest man on earth, or second richest person on earth, so he can take it. But, you know, I, he, he views Twitter as a very important channel for free speech, to preserve free speech, you know, to, to use, you know, paraphrase him, for the entire planet. It happens to, you know, have uh, a couple of ways of making money and being sustainable, one of which is advertising. Linda really wanted to talk about advertising, really wanted to talk about or give him the platform to talk about how, you know, he's thinking about making Twitter a more brand safe and performant you know, vehicle for advertising. And 100% of the people that were there, which means a lot of marketers were in the room. I mean, standing room only, chaotic. You, know, so you can see our, our Twitter thread on it. And, uh, you know, he he, uh, he wasn't selling, which again, I, I, I yeah, you got to kind of respect it because his first and foremost priority seems to be just free speech and fair rules and transparency. And he's not talking about ads at all. So, you know, the bit of conversation around, you know, uh, the the way he wants to use, you know, keywords to, to use his his term, you know, <laughs> 1990s, <laughs> 1990s AOL term was interesting. But, you know, again, and, and this has been a thing you and I have been talking about and, and just wanting to see like innovation on formats, innovation on, you know, being able to have a Super Bowl moment for all of those different Super Bowl uh, real time events that happen over the course of the year. There was zero conversation about that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it, it was very clear from his perspective, and I think you just said this, but I'll repeat, which is he, he believes in the Twitter mission. He believes in free speech, whatever he thinks that means. He sees advertising as a necessary evil to pay the bills, and he's treating it that way. And his, to the extent he sold anything in this conference, it was brand safety, where he really just talked about avoiding certain topics on Twitter. So adver the ability of advertisers to avoid certain topics was one of the things he mm -hmm. talked about. And yeah. Linda pushed him on that and asked, is it really better than it used to be? And he said yes, but I, I heard some audible sighs from the audience who didn't really believe him because that is a brand safety is obviously a big factor in Twitter advertising. And then the second thing, like you said, was his sort of self-congratulatory uh, lap by adding keywords as a targeting option to Twitter ads and saying that in the past, I don't even know if this is true, but he's what he's claiming is that in the past you could not target tweets by keyword, which is interesting. I, I kind of sympathize that that is probably a pretty big deficiency for certain advertisers. But I, I would also point out that one of the biggest problems with Twitter is the ability to t determine sentiment because there's so much sarcasm on the platform that using keywords 
could be very bad, basically, because you kind of have no <laughs> idea. Work against you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just think about targeting the keywords Donald Trump and what you might get. It yeah. could be all over the place. And so overall, his advertising conversation was pretty underwhelming. You know, again, I, I don't know what his what his goal was, but, you know, for, for a man with the amount of responsibilities that he has, the amount on his plate, you know, to clear the decks, to spend the day in Miami, one would expect that it was to be able to talk to marketers and, and, and give his, you know, vision directly to marketers. And, um, you know, it wasn't about the, you know, the sort of ad proposition. Um, yeah, so I, think, I, think, I think we can infer that there is no advertising vision at Twitter anymore uh, that's more tactical about trying to just recapture some dollars. But I don't know this. Maybe, Eric, you know, or one of our listeners know. Is there anyone in charge of ad products at Twitter? And is there anyone in charge of ad sales at Twitter? I don't know who those people would be. Normally, I think I would know who those people are. I certainly did in the era before Trump, before uh, I just called him Trump, before Elon took over. I do not. I think there's I, a hidden, I don't know. hidden secret roadmap. So um, so that was interesting. Um, LL Cool J was great. Uh, you know, it's the 50th anniversary of hip hop. So it was great that he came out. He was interacting with people. There's a video of him and Terry Kawaja on Terry's feed, which you can check yes. out, where Terry shows him the parody video that Terry made using his song. It's a little cringeworthy, but, you know, whatever. It's fun. Cringe what, in a good way. It was, it, was, it was nice. Anything else that you heard that was interesting this week? I was so impressed with Bon Jovi. I mean, absolutely so impressed with Bon Jovi. Now, granted, I'm, you know, a middle-aged guy from New Jersey, so I was ready to be <laughs> impressed <laughs> impressed by Bon Jovi. But, I mean, his business success, business acumen, all the things that he does from like a philanthropic standpoint, I was like, I was just blown away. It was super impressive. Um, I don't think I could have... I'm I'm a bigger fan, and I I don't even think that's possible for me to be a bigger fan. Like it was <laughs> it was really a highlight. It was it was really a highlight. So again, kudos to the organizers for that one. Later on, when we talk about the news, we'll talk about Google's Fledge. But I just sat in on a Google presentation on Fledge, and I think I learned more in that half hour than I had after reading untold number of white papers and things like that. Also, there was a pretty good startup showcase. Uh, so you you were a judge, like Shark Tank style, in the startup showcase. Yeah, yeah. We, I, I was judged. There was a there was a startup pitch competition. Um, it was a Tuesday competition. There were uh, there were a lot of submissions. Ten startups made it through. Day one, we finalized it to a group of three, and then today, the the group of three did a did another uh, pitch off, and um, we we named a, a winner. Yobi Ventures Disclosure Portfolio Company of ours, and uh, I hope there's video out there of uh, Max's presentation. It was a two and a half minute presentation. And it was almost like Eminem picking up a microphone and they were like machine gunning freestyle <laughs> and stopping. And, and you're just like, what did I just see? He's he's a gifted presenter and it's an incredible business, but congrats to Yobi. So it was so cool to see startup innovation being highlighted and, and having a, a format for that. So between that and you know some of the opportunities, again, to use that innovation stage to have you know various startups, both in our portfolio and, and out of our portfolio, either do a sponsored presentation or just integrate it into the content. It was, it was again, from, you know, an early stage investor's perspective, just, just great to see. Yeah. That guy, Max is really young, um, really energetic. And he, his business was sort of incubated by Bill Wise. And I just, you know, whenever I see those two together, it's, I picture Bill like bringing in an orphan off the streets of Gotham and teaching him to be like the, his evil ward 
under uh, you know take on Batman. That's kind of the the theme I get from those guys. Um, but he's gonna be a billionaire, and I'll work for him one day. <laughs> you, you, and me both. Cool. So we did this fun thing uh, during the conference where Eric and I have been doing man in the street interviews with very executives that have been here at Possible. So really fast, asking them questions about what they thought was interesting. So we're going to play those, um, and you'll probably hear a lot of familiar voices and names that you know and love, or maybe just know, or maybe know and hate. We'll see how it works. So let's hear the men on the street, and women on the street, sorry, the people on the street at Possible. Hey, everybody. I'm here with my first interviewee. He is a uh, unemployed author that is just milling around the halls. His name is apparently Rashad Tabakawala. Um, so thank you for joining me here today. Thank you very much. I'm glad to be here, Eric. So Rashad, what's the most interesting thing that you've like learned about ad tech and MarTech recently? I think what's basically beginning to happen is because of AI, we're beginning to see the combination of plumbing and poetry. It'll be very difficult to separate contact from content. I love it. The plumbing and poetry you've been talking about for a long time, so it's a long time coming. What's something that you've learned recently about ad tech and MarTech? I think what I've basically learned is how competition is actually good, that for years and years and years, Google didn't improve its product, and now over the last three months, has over 150 people working full-time to improve it because of what Bing did. Amazing. Thank you, Rashad. Thank you very much. I'm here with Richard Glassberg of Safeguard Privacy. Tell us briefly, what does Safeguard do? We've built the TurboTax of privacy compliance. We help you manage you and then help you manage your vendors. Cool. What's the coolest thing going on in AdTech right now? Ari. I think it's the panic over IDs and privacy. What should people know about that? For the first time in our industry, we're not self-regulated and there are real laws. And those are going to be very dangerous to everybody in the ecosystem. Thanks a lot. I'm here with Matthew Roche, the CEO of ID5. Uh, what does ID5 do? So ID5 is an identity company. We help uh, brands uh, optimize reach and frequency uh, across all devices and, and platforms. And what do you think is interesting right now in ad tech? Well, the, this, this event here at Possible is pretty interesting because it's, uh, it's warm and sunny. Uh, in ad tech in general, I think it's really like the year that we're getting serious about data protection, privacy, and identity in particular. Uh, it's been a discussion topic for the past three or four years, but it feels like uh, this year is the year of identity, to uh, paraphrase the, the famous mobile one. Uh, hopefully I'm right. All right, year of identity, you heard it here, thanks. I'm here with Joanna O'Connell, independent researcher, and we're at the Possible Conference. Joanna, what's the most interesting thing in ad tech and martech right now? To me, it's the fact that there's an acknowledgement that the consumer is part of the equation. And rather than it being sort of a, oh, we need to solve for the cookie problem, it's starting to become more of a conversation around consumer experience, around transparency, choice, uh, around... Um, Consent as not just a compliance question, but really a question of what uh, good customer experience looks like. So I see interesting stuff happening around data collection, around content creation, around even moving the conversation from personalization to one of relevance, which I think is a much more consumer-oriented way of thinking about, you know, uh, delivering an ad experience that's going to be valuable. Amazing. What have you learned recently? about ad, in ad tech and raw tech? 
interesting things happening with the supply end right now, right. Um, and some rerouting of relationships uh, that used to be very, I'm buy side, your sell side, we each have technology, there's a thing in the middle, to some new, more direct paths being formed that perhaps were destined will happen, but you're really starting to see happen now. And so, you know, in some ways that's quite disruptive, but also I think yeah. in other ways it's really just about collapsing all the stuff in the middle. You know, back to my point about consumers, we need to be clean, we need to be transparent, and we also need to be efficient. And you're seeing that the sort of new thoughts around what efficiency needs to look like. Amazing. Thank you, Joanna. I'm here with Amy Williams, the CEO of Goodloop. What does Goodloop do? We make it easy and scalable for big brands to do good. Do good. That sounds interesting. Is that a big trend in ad tech right now? It is a huge trend in media generally. I think responsible media, whether it's how your media has a carbon footprint and the environmental impact of the ads you serve, whether it's the representation and ownership of the publishers you support and the, and the, the way that media can fund those communities, or whether it's the way that advertisers lean in and invest in social impact, brand purpose, brand responsibility, that all of those have become a number one priority for every single advertiser in this room. Wonderful, thank you. All right, I'm here with Greg Williams, president at Autogen. Uh, disclosure, my fund is an investor. Greg, how are you doing? I'm well, how are you, Eric? I'm great. Uh, so two questions for you. Number one, uh, what's the most interesting thing going on in ad tech right now? So I think it's the convergence and the changes in the digital supply chain around identity, data, and media, where it's almost like a repackaging of all of those assets together, but doing it in a smarter way and how the changing regulations and landscape are reshaping and re and, and everyone's having to rethink um, how to how to how to how to basically uh, take assets and construct them into meaningful products. Just look at retail media and what they're doing. Um, Look at the way that basically anybody with a data asset can be a can operate a retail media strategy, and really have a focused effort around media and data curation that can drive their goals, whether that's performance or whether that is monetization, whatever they may be. Amazing. What's one thing you recently learned about ad tech or martech? So I think the one thing that I recently have learned is just how profound the use of AI can be and what it will be in the market and where, you know, where that world is going and the untapped potential of what it has. Awesome. Thank you, Greg. I'm here with Aaron Goldman, the CMO of MediaOcean. What does MediaOcean do? Uh, MediaOcean, we're an omni-channel advertising platform. So we make software for uh, marketers and agencies to plan by, manage, and optimize their media. Awesome, man. What's exciting going on in ad tech right now? Uh, well, everything literally uh, is exciting. What uh, we're really focused on right now is convergence. So converging workflows, uh, converging platforms, big focus on bringing linear and streaming together in time for the upfronts, working with uh, the advanced currency providers to make it uh, easy as we move into sort of this next gen of the television universe. Awesome. Thanks for being on. I'm here with David Cole, the CEO of TrustX. What's TrustX? So we're a uh, premium publisher SSP. We created the company because uh, programmatic kind of sucks for premium publishers. We wanted to unsuck it. How's that? That's great. And what's exciting that's going on in ad tech right now? I'm totally fascinated with what's happening in privacy and data protection. And uh, it's a huge focus of our company to stop all the data leakage and 
sort of unscrew up everything we uh, allowed to happen a decade and a half ago with throwing audience data everywhere around the midstream. Awesome. Thank you. I'm here with Eric Wheeler, the CEO of 33 Across. What does 33 Across do? Uh, we're an identity resolution platform, and we enable programmatic to work without third-party cookies. Okay. What's exciting that's going on in ad tech right now? What are you seeing here at the possible conference? Well, first, it's great to see a, a new conference on uh, on the horizon. It's awesome to see everyone so connected and, and the deals being done and the discussions. I got to tell you, everybody's leaning in about a, a future without a reliance on on cookies and uh, Google's making some big moves and it's getting brands and platforms pretty excited about what's next. Uh, a little clarification, what are Google's big moves? Moving away from third-party cookies. All right, thanks for being here. That was pretty awesome. A lot of diverse, interesting stories there. And a lot of people talking about privacy and talking about kind of changes in the industry. Yep. Uh, what, yep. what were kind of the interesting things that you, you heard in your interviews there? I mean, I was I was lucky enough to uh, get a few like really really smart people to let me stick a phone in their in, in their face. So uh, you know, highlight for me was you know probably the the one person I, I, I sort of like consider a, a mentor from a, from afar um, in my career, Rashad Tabakawala, and you know him articulating you know what AI means in this era. I think was a was a big highlight. Number one, and then number two was um, Joanna O'Connell who I think is very optimistic about the current moment and how everything is being reset and, you know, sort of like truly for the first time, having the user in mind, having the, the, the consumer in mind. I thought she did a good job of breaking down why there's reason to be optimistic at this time, or particularly around UX. What about you? Yeah, well, Joanna claims that she wants to be on this podcast, but then whenever I actually email her to set up a time, she ignores my email. And then I saw her at the conference and she said, I haven't been answering your emails, have I? And I'm like, no, no, you have not. So <laughs> we'll see. So listeners, stand by for Joanne O'Connell at some point. Tweet at Joanna. Tell her we want her on the pod. Because <laughs> she's she is so good. Like she should be a guest. She is. And the missing guest is Brian O'Kelly, because I saw him this morning at like 7.30 in the morning. And I was about to break out my phone and grab him for an interview. And I was just too hungover. And I was like, just no, I'm just not going to do it. Um, so, um, maybe we'll have him on at some point. Also. Uh, <laughs> um, let's talk about the news of the week. So this week, probably the biggest news was Magnite. So Magnite launched ClearLine, which some people are positioning as a competitor to OpenPath, which is the trade desk direct to publisher solution. So ClearLine is a sort of a direct advertiser solution from an SSP. There's been a theme of the show for quite some time. Uh, there was some chuckling that ClearLine is sort of a direct synonym for OpenPath. You know, the two words kind of mean the same thing. Uh, someone else uh, on Twitter called ClearLine a great name for a uh, feminine hygiene product. I don't think I really agree with that one. That's not that good a joke, but I should, shouldn't have repeated it. And uh, so, Eric, what's your take on this? Oh, well, let's start with the name. How is ClearLine not a complete competitor to OpenPath? Clear line, open path. I mean, it's like absolutely just just go go going after it. And kudos for Magnite for that. Um, you know, this, this is like you know, we want to see this stuff. It's fun. It's buzzworthy. Pe people are talking about it. So I think from a product marketing perspective, a product launch perspective, I know it's something both of us have you know interest and in, in, in respect for. I thought that was really good. And you know, it's it's interesting. It's you, we spend we we spend too much time talking about this evolution, fast evolution of 
you know, DSPs versus SSPs, DSPs becoming SSPs, SSPs becoming DSPs. And I think it's a, it's a really good example, right? Like OpenPath provides access to inventory without an SSP. Right. Clear line without a rides. Yeah. Oh, no. I'm without DSP. Sorry. You know, I had it right without an SSP, right? So Clearline um, provides access to inventory to buyers without an SSP. And I think in this age of SPO and wanting you know the maximum amount of dollars destined to be working to be working, and you know the lines between SSPs and DSPs, I mean this this is pretty interesting and pretty cool. The, the question is, what's the difference between these two? Uh, or does there even have to be? Uh, yeah, can buyers choose whatever path to use a loaded word they want to just buy the inventory from whoever they want? So then maybe the answer is it becomes about the inventory and who can start to provide the right types of deals and incentives for publishers to be exclusive, probably as an inventory partner. I think this is good for publishers. Yeah. Oh, it has to be. Yeah, because now they have more ways to reach the buyers and potentially that would reduce take rates because this is all about reducing take rates with fewer hops, you have fewer take rates. And we have less take rates, publishers make more money, even if just a couple percent, it matters. And you have two of the largest, you know, public companies competing against each other for publisher inventory. I don't know if we've ever seen this before. It's super interesting. Again, like, hey, let's give publishers a win for once, right? Yeah, yeah. The the competitive dynamics in the SSP land have been very static. Because of editor bidding, every every SSP is on every page, so they don't compete that much. Um, they compete on features, um, but they don't right. compete on price. This could potentially break open that conversation and have a re- real price competition between the DSP and the SSP on behalf of the advertiser who ultimately has the money. It's exciting, and again, kudos to to them. I think the other thing in in you know maybe re- related news, and again, you, you can look at the, the the possible hashtag on on Twitter. There's like a premium. I don't know what you call it. There's a there's a couple of pools at the at the Fountain Blue, and there's like a cabana that's an island in the middle of one of the pools. It's the only way I could describe it. Uh, it is so yeah. So when I'm I'm you know when I'm here you know sort of once in a while with the with the family, it's always interesting because that's clearly like a like a high ticket cabana for for personal use. There's you know there, there's typically like a you know so somebody somebody's in there, but Trade Desk took it over, and it's just like again there, there, there's a funny tweet on this. Maybe it's yours. Uh, it's it just seems so apropos that they're yeah. they're on their own island. Yeah, I think they are on their own island. They're definitely cooperating less. I think one thing I'll also say, putting on my strategic hat, which is uh, Magnite has done a masterful job on mergers and acquisitions. And one of the ones that's not looked at as much as Spring served, um, which was a small dollar amount. They were actually able to get it for a small dollar amount, which was their first stroke of genius. But secondly... Having that ad server, video ad server, enables the kind of things they're doing right now. Whereas uh, if they didn't have that, I think it'd be a lot harder to grab CTV inventory from anybody. And then the counter uh, flip side is the other interesting company in that space, Publica, got acquired by kind of an awkward acquirer of Interpol Ad Science, which does not have any strategic overlap with their core business. And in a sense, Publica would have been much better off getting acquired by you know, Pubmatic, Index, someone like that. So it'll be very interesting to see how that plays out over the next couple of years. Yeah, and that's a that's a really interesting point. Like, I, I don't know the d- 
dollar amount of the Springstar acquisition, but I, it was rumored that Publico was around two hundred million. So this was a real acquisition yeah. um, for IIS. It had to be like you know multiples higher than than Springserve was. And Springserve, if it's powering so much of what's happening in CTV with Magnite, who's the leader in, in CTV on the supply side, like wow, like yeah, what a what a good deal, what a good acquisition. So the other news that has been going around is. Um, a bunch of news around Sandbox and Fledge. Um, I try to avoid the Sandbox topics because they're so complicated. Uh, so let's do the first one that's easy, which is that... <laughs> if, they're, if, they're compli- if they're complicated for you, Ari, <laughs> I'm just going to sit here and shut my mouth. So please go. Oh, my God. Well, you can comment on the bird name. So it's no longer Fledge. It's called the Protected Audience API, uh, which I'm sure people will abbreviate to PAA. Uh <laughs> So do, do do you miss the, the bird names or you think it's good that the bird names are gone? I think the bird names should be sunsetted personally. Yes. The bird names were, were so googly and so off-putting. And, and Google really doesn't want this to look like it's a Google thing. They want to yeah. look like it's a standards thing, the W3C. You can't have bird names if it's, you know, a standard. Um, yeah. So from an alien perspective, check the box. Two big thumbs up on getting rid of the bird names. So the other news that is interesting is that there were some results put out about Fledge. And for those of you who aren't intimately familiar, Fledge is the effectively the retargeting solution. So it's a privacy-protected retargeting solution where you can tell the browser that a user is interested in a certain product, and then you can tell buyers that they can serve ads to that user who's interested in the product, all without disclosing who the user is. And uh, so both... Digiday and Ad Exchanger wrote excellent articles explaining the results of a A-B test where A was cookies, B was Fledge, and the outcomes were basically not that bad. That's how this is basically positioned. Click-through was around 90% of the cookie test, so Fledge was 90% as good as cookies in generating click-through. Ad spend decreased, but not by much. Single-digit decreases in ad spend, 2 to 7% pretty comparable and this is sort of buttressing the idea that fledge could be a pretty viable solution to the ability for publishers to make money on retargeting campaigns and for retailers and marketers to use retargeting campaigns this is not a comment on whether it will fly on a privacy perspective or a comment on whether government regulators will like it it's just a comment on effectiveness also what's not published i'll just talk about my personal like rumor mill experience which is i was speaking with one major party here at possible and they said they were just blown away by how good the results were on fledge and that in some cases some of their tests they fledge beat cookies on retargeting because you have you don't have the cookie syncing problem so you have a higher likelihood of reaching that user was i was kind of blown away by that yeah that's super interesting so what does it mean? I don't know what it means. I mean, I, I think that I'm increasingly coming to the opinion that Google is going to move ahead with the sandbox. So, so there's been talk in the past that Google is just going to abandon the whole thing and it's taking too long. I don't think that's the case anymore. I think they're full steam ahead. I think it's really the two APIs that seem ready are Fledge and Topics and maybe convert. There was just an article that came out like 15 minutes ago about the conversion API, but I didn't read it yet. So I think it's definitely coming out. I think it's going to be utilized by certain parties in the in the ecosystem. But I think the real interesting thing will be to see who doesn't implement this or who is slow about implementing these things. 
I also heard from a different person at Possible on the sell side, an SSP, saying Fledge is like hugely wasteful. There's so many more API calls. It's going to increase everyone's expenses and QPS, uh, and they're not very excited about it. Also, I was just in a half-hour seminar with the Google people explaining Fledge, and one question I asked, um, not to be cheeky or anything, was, you know, what's the point of the SSP in this transaction? They don't seem to be doing very much. And the answer was sort of, well, you have to do, someone has to do brand safety. And that was not a very satisfying answer. So I, I think there may be even more of the DSP SSP shuffle as the sandbox comes out. That's super interesting because that that response means, huh, it's like, shouldn't DV and IAS be doing brand safety? Like, what, why, why, why is the SSP yeah. being suggested? Like creative safety, so block lists and pre-filtering creatives from the buyers, that sort of. Got thing. it. Okay. Yeah, that's pretty neat. At some point, we should have someone on the show that really understands this, like maybe Julia <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> a good idea. I saw Paul Battister moving around. Maybe we should we should bring him back for round two. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, that wraps it. So uh, great show for, from here in Miami. Next week, we'll be back with our normal agenda, normal guests. I hope everyone enjoyed all the women and men on the street interviews. Eric, I think I'll see you at cocktails in a little bit. Uh, yes, you will. See you later. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Thank you for subscribing to Architecture. New interviews are added every week at Markitecture.tv and your favorite podcasting app.